Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Mariette Clardy Davis. Mariette Clardy Davis. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Cassie and. So, Mariette, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me. We'll start off with that, and I'm excited to have this conversation. So, good afternoon, good morning, everyone. My name is Mariette Clardy Davis. I'm really a multi-passionate attorney. I am a assistant general counsel for a financial services company. But in my spare time, I'm also a multi-passionate creator as well as a mental health advocate and a Web3 contributor. You are a woman of many, many talents, and I got to know you from LinkedIn. And, and a lot of times I ask people to tell the audience how we know each other, and I wasn't sure if you would remember. I know I remember. I maybe reached out to you. I think that we were... I was looking for Web3 interested attorneys, and I think I came across you and just reached out, and you were gracious enough to respond. And we had a call, and you told me all about learning a, about Web3 and DAOs and blockchain and pretty much going through a cycle. You were probably six months or a year ahead of my learning cycle, and we, I think, bonded over that. And that's why I wanted you on this episode, because Mariette, there are a lot of jargons and concepts around some of these emerging technologies. And I thought having you come on and talk about one in particular would be incredibly helpful. And the one I want you to talk to us about is DAOs or Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. So there's probably a lot of people that maybe have never heard of it. So what the heck is a DAO, Marriott? Yeah, so I will echo it by saying that in the land of tech and Web3, there's a lot of jargon. And one of the, I would say, challenges, which I'm sure we'll get to later, as far as getting emerged and entering the field um, and entering the space is because a lot of people feel like I don't know or understand all these jargons and it's kind of too far removed from my everyday life. But I think what's important is to create and understand and simplify it. So from the most, I would say the simplest, I'll say Sesame Street ABC term, a DAO <laughs> or a decentralized autonomous organization is a group of people that are coming together that share common goals and they execute and organize on those common and shared goals, whether it's one goal or multiple goals. So that's kind of the big picture view of what a DAO is in its most simplest forms. Why do we need DAOs? Why did people feel there was a need for DAOs? I would say the biggest reason why people liked the concept of a DAO is because of a lot of other types of structures that people are used to. So in a more general corporate structure, you have 
people that are executors of the goals and the deliverables, but they are not the ones at the table making the decision. They do not have the power generally unless they are stockholders or they have some type of ownership in the company. They are not the ones making decisions from a big picture perspective or even managerial or leadership decisions. And when it comes to a community where people wanted to do something different and make and create and again, execute on shared visions and goals, the DAO is a distinct alternative to that type of uh, structure. So maybe to put another way, it's an entity like structure that gives voting privileges to people who contribute to the goal of the organization. And that goal could be leadership contributions. It could be, I'm going to be a tech resource. I'm going to be a, a subject matter expert resource in this area and coming together. But there's not necessarily a commitment, right? People can kind of come and go and jump in and say, I'm going to work on this specific project. That's what I have availability to do. And then they may, because of that work, get the ability to help make decisions for the organization as a whole, correct? Yes. So I would say, I would say yes. And so voting or being able to contribute or having a voice is done through the voting mechanism, but depending on the type of DAO, voting can be obtained or through what's called a DAO's native token. So if you're like, oh, what's a token? Let's just call it a membership point or something that you get when you are contributing in some way. And so the more tokens that you have, the more of a voice in many DAOs that you get. Now, the way that you gather those, though, can be nuanced depending on the DAO. You can buy them. So a native token can be purchased. You can also contribute. You can build. You can be one of those who are, I'm not going to use the word leader in a general kind of corporate structure, but you could be um, a member that contributes and has a slightly more control just based on your roles and responsibilities within the DAO. But there are so many ways within a DAO that you can gather these tokens. And in many DAOs, the more tokens you have, the more of a voice you have. So there are benefits, but also, as you could probably guess, challenges to that as well. Is one challenge just tracking? How do you decide how many tokens one task gets versus another? Is that something you're seeing in discussions around DAOs? How do you value the contribution of the individual? Yes. Yeah, so that really starts a couple layers back, which is governance. So one of the things that um, DAOs have to do, or let's just say a group of members have to do, is decide how do they want to organize this um, shared goal or shared, we'll call it a community, this shared community. And one of those decisions is what is the, is it one token, one vote? How many um, tokens does a person get when they do X role or X responsibility? So that's generally done through the group of members coming together and again, organizing and executing on how do they want to structure that? But it could be done a number of ways. 
Do you find that governance kind of that outline of how we're going to give tokens, how we're going to grant tokens based off of contributions? Is that in a standard formal document like articles of incorporation or anything like that? Or does it just depend on the parties involved and how keen they are towards defining a structure like that? So the great thing about DAOs, which is also the challenging, is it could be either or. So again, remember, it's a group of people coming together. There is no playbook on how that group is supposed to operate. However, depending on the members in the community, oftentimes what you do see is some type of pseudo formalized structure. Because again, in order for them to do these votes and make these decisions, they have to set up some type of mechanism or structure in which that process will occur. Now, sometimes we talk in the theoretical, you know, I talk about some things and I've maybe not actually dabbled in them. I've not mined tokens in a blockchain environment, but I'll talk about it. But you've actually been involved in DAOs. So can you tell the audience a little bit about those DAO projects you've been involved with? Yes. So I, one thing I do want to say is it's important when you enter this space, and this is one thing I didn't realize, is that not every community you enter is a DAO. So oftentimes when you enter the communities, you're not really sure if it's a DAO, and some of them may be named a DAO, but they're not a DAO. So I'm involved in both. I am involved in communities that do name themselves a DAO and operate accordingly, and then I'm also involved in um, other just what I call general communities. So specifically with the DAO, I'm involved in Bankless DAO. That was really one of the first DAOs that I became a part of. And they're the ones that really kind of exposed me and opened the doors to understanding the execution of how they operate. Bankless DAO is one of the more larger DAOs in the ecosystem, but especially ones that I'm a part of. Now, I'm not a full-fledged member, but I know I'm off. I'm also a part of the Lex DAO community, as well mm -hmm. as the Atlanta blockchain uh, community. They have a DAO as well. Let me just make sure I'm not forgetting. Anything. And then a number of other organizations that do operate similar to that, but may not necessarily call themselves DAOs. So let's backtrack and let's talk about LexDAO because LexDAO is a legal focused DAO, correct? Yes. A legal community, attorneys and things like that, correct? Yes. And you pay a certain amount to become a member, but you can also join their community. So you have those that are members of the community, and then you have those that are paying. And a lot of the benefits in that particular community of paying is being able to participate and collaborate in goals and opportunities that they have. And oftentimes you have creators that are requesting lawyers to do X, Y, Z. And so if you're a member, it allows you to do that. And I don't, I'm not, in, I'm um, a part of the community. I'm not a actual member because that wasn't, again, it's shared goals and understanding what the, the bigger vision is. And that distinct part wasn't a part that I necessarily needed in a community. And that vision of, of LexDAO is addressing kind of like noodling thought leadership, like talking about how the legal community will 
deal with certain emerging technology issues, correct? That's kind of that focus. So it's, I I say LexDial is a mini splendid thing, but it's, it's kind of a mixed bag for a lawyer. It's a great DAO to learn and understand and under like thought leadership based on everything from legal structures and intellectual property or in the simplest terms, protecting what you created and regular regulation and what's going on. So you have that side of it, which is an information education, really helping to pull the community together because the legal community in this space is still rather small. And then you Mm -hmm. have the other side, which is more of the clinic arm, but also the arm where creators and developers and people who are building can come in and, get support from the legal community as well. And the way you engage with that community without necessarily joining is you join the Discord server, correct? And for yes. for many of these, right? You, you get on Discord and, and I'm a, a member of the Discord server for LexDAO as well. So yeah. in, in, in you, it's I think it's pretty open. That's how a lot of these groups tend to gather and communicate is on right. Discord. Including a DAO, including many of the DAOs, the, especially the larger DAOs as well. You could be a member of, and again, for those who don't know Discord, let's say you're mm-hmm. a member of the Facebook community. It's similar to a Facebook community, but a lot different. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, it's a, but for those who don't understand and know the world of Discord, imagine it like you you can join the Facebook community, but if they have goals and decisions and events and things that they want to do as a group, because you are not, let's say, a paid member, you can't participate and have a voice in those discussions, but you can still participate in other ways in the community. And I want to touch on one of the other DAOs you mentioned, which is the Atlanta blockchain. And I just want to acknowledge Atlanta has a very robust blockchain and emerging tech community, right? Yes. So one of the things I think that is great about Atlanta is that it has that emerging tech focus. They have a number of nonprofits besides Atlanta blockchain. You have a number of nonprofits that are also in the space. I'm um, involved with one of them a new way, but there's, and then I think Crypto Mondays, I'm also one that actively goes to those. And so there's a lot of different things, whether it's communities or Atlanta Blockchain Center is really kind of a dedicated hub or nonprofits that really help to, again, bridge the gap, bring Mm -hmm. people in at all various levels and really help to foster a sense of community across the city. I think that's really great. And I should connect you with one of my prior guests, Raina, who is involved in a similar blockchain community in New Orleans. And I know New Orleans and Atlanta, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of competition there, but maybe that would be a nice like little uh, pair up at some point. So I, I should connect you to. Um, yeah. But but let's talk also about something else you briefly touched on. You mentioned LexDAO and sometimes they talk about the regulatory aspect of DAOs. There's a real regulatory issue and personal liability issue related to DAOs. Now, if, if we want to step back and, and think of DAOs as an entity-like structure, and those of us who are attorneys, we think of limiting liability you know, for example, the most 
basic original form of an entity structure is just a general partnership, meaning everyone has liability. It's joint and several liability. And, and as time progressed, more sophisticated entity structures were created and approved by state governances that limited liabilities because of maybe it hampered innovation, things like that. Uh, so you have LLCs and LLPs, and that's really meant to not have the individually be personally on the hook if the company is not success successful. The DAOs create an interesting uh, legal challenge, I think, in this area. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Marriott? Yeah. Yes. So the interesting thing is because they are not a separate legal entity like an LLC or an Inc., that they have exposure similar to a sole prop or a partnership where you have potentially unlimited personal exposure to the actions and the organization's visions and goals within the DAO. And so that creates a lot of risk identification and risk mitigation strategies that lawyers love. But I think for those that are community members of the DAO, honestly, they don't really think about it until there are certain roadblocks when it comes to how to organize and execute away from the DAO. And also as it relates to liabilities, for instance, if there is a conflict or an issue, those are generally when the community members start to learn what a DAO is and what a DAO is not. But there are, there is some movement in that space. You know, my understanding, there are a few states, I think there's three or four that are recognizing DAOs Wyoming. as at Wyoming, Utah, maybe. Utah, Tennessee, yes. Yeah, Tennessee, 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 Tennessee. Um, so there's a little bit of movement there, but I think it's, it's worth saying, hey, everyone being aware, if you're interested in checking this out, there is some liability issues to be aware of. But some DAOs are realizing that and being very uh, risk conscious of that. How are they how are they trying to mitigate those risks, knowing that there is that potential personal liability? So I think the biggest thing, just from a big picture standpoint, the ones that are uh, let me start by saying everyone's trying to do their best. So because mm -hmm. technology in many new technologies, when it comes to innovation, outpaces regulation and in many times structure. So oftentimes you are the one that is kind of creating the standard, which can be a scary place. So we'll start by saying so many of these or so many of the DAOs are in many cases doing the best that they can. But from a big picture perspective, some of them have looked at and discussed potential liabilities with legal counsel. And I want to start with the reason why that's important is because DAOs can take the shape of many different things. You have collector DAOs, you have protocol DAOs or those that create some kind of technical something. You have social DAOs. So depending on what that shared goal is, you have certain legal risks, financial risks, and risk in general that accompany it. Forget the DAO structure, period, but just based on that goal. 
And a lot of um, DAOs have started at least consulting with attorneys to understand from a big picture perspective what those things are. Another layer going uh, kind of under that some DAOs are doing is doing what's called a legal wrapper. And again, this is not legal advice, information education. Correct. A legal wrapper is what some DAOs are doing is creating a more of a legal liability shield around the structure of the DAO to give it more liability protection. That is more of a nuanced and kind of complicated thing because often those wrappers are done outside of the United States and like the Cayman Island through various mm. mechanisms. And so that complexity often brings in legal counsel. And then I think from another perspective, also, and you mentioned this at the very beginning, some DAOs, depending on who the members are, have created more role defined roles and responsibilities within the community so that there is that, I'm not going to say division, but more of that transparency and clarity amongst what are the members doing? What are they responsible for? Even though they can come in and out at will. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth pausing and stepping back and saying, what was the catalyst for the creation of this kind of structure? And I think some of it is for people to work autonomously, anonymously even. And I think that there are some people who felt that this was going to be a stateless organization. It would not it would be outside of the purview, the control of jurisdictional oversight. And I think in many ways, it's similar to a lot of things I think we see in emerging technology, where there's this utopian ideal of the government's not going to be able to assert its authority over us if they don't know who we are. And we're, But that you can think that, but that doesn't mean authorities won't try and come after people. So, um, and I think as this matures, we're seeing instances where regulatory bodies are investigating, are going after some DAOs that they claim may be engaging in illegal activity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's uh, worth pointing out that just because new technology may seem to solve all these problems, it doesn't mean that eventually, as you said, regulation will catch up to it at some point. So um, and I do, I do want to say with that, it's, it's nuanced, like that, that part of it, because even though it's a DAO, fraud is fraud. So there are certain actions. (laughs) that you could be held liable for in a court of law, you steal something, you hack something, you commit fraudulent activity, they don't care what kind of legal or non-legal or stateless entity you call it, the action itself will fall under a law or some something within your country's regime that allows them to take action. And I think that's what many people forget. And also they love a lot of people love the idea until something happens and they want to sue someone. And then it's right. like, how do we <laughs> do this again? Hey, yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, I don't think it's any, you know, I don't think there's it, scammers are going to scam. And I think there's nothing wrong for having ideals. And I think really what this comes down to is nearly like an egalitarian type system of really trying to give accreditation to people for like the work that they do. And I think that's a wonder, wonderful thing. So I think that's an excellent element. 
of a DAO structure. So if you've been involved in DAOs, DAOs are getting a little bit more mature, not super mature. What are some limitations you're seeing to the DAO structure beyond the regulatory issues we just talked about? So I think not necessarily limitations, but things that a DAO may need to consider if they are forming. And again, if you're operating inside of the bubble, that's great, but it's going outside of the bubble. And the biggest thing really from a, again, administrative standpoint are things like, how are you going to pay taxes? How does that, what does that look like? Are you going to pay taxes? Number two, how are you going to enter into contract? So if you decide to, you would like to contract for services or things outside of the DAO, what is that going to look like for the DAO? Leadership and organization governance is still, even though it's within the DAO, that's often a huge stress point for many DAOs is how do you evolve and grow as your DAO evolves and grows as it relates to that. And then also, how do you protect not only your members um, from things like, I'm not going to say bullying, but protect your membership inside of the community and also protecting your members outside of the community from a tech perspective. So the a lot of the decisions or the voting that we are talking about is done through a mechanism called a smart contract or through a technological coding tool that allows a decision to be verified and executed on a blockchain. And one of the challenges with some smart contracts is it's only as good as how it's coded or how it's written, and it could be vulnerable and subject to attack. So now you have cybersecurity issues. So it's really how do you protect from a cybersecurity perspective? How do you protect the community? How do you protect yourself from outside vendors? And then also, how do you move and operate outside of the world of the DAO with other corporate or more formalized structures? And I think the comment about the cyber attacking is one. There's a nuance there to that. It, it's not the same cyber attack that you may experience, I think, in a traditional Web2 company where it's a phishing email and you click on it and there's ransomware. Really, in a, in a lot of ways, cyber attacking in the concept of smart contracts, it often means finding a weakness to the code that someone is able to identify and take advantage of. And I would imagine in a DAO structure, that could be finding a weakness in a code by which a hacker could give themselves tokens and then maybe get majority ownership voting rights of the DAO and then really kind of take over the DAO and have access to the treasury and things like that. So, correct, you know, the, the smart contract health and auditing of those smart contracts is very important, I would imagine, to the health of the DAO. Yes. And I would also add, because I witnessed this in my own experience, let's not sleep on the whole phishing issue mm. in a DAO because this, that happens specifically in Discord community. In Discord. So there are um, a lot of hackers can identify, even though a DAO is decentralized, they can identify who are the top people in a DAO and who controls, really who controls the money. 
And if they can get to that person and expose their vulnerability through those phishing scans and things like that, they can get into if the DAO has specific accounts on other blockchains or different um, tokens, or they decide to own, have a treasury. So they have their own bank account. Um, a hacker can get in and through that phishing scam or whatever thing, they can go in and pull from the Dow's treasury. And that has happened in some occasions. So one of the biggest challenges is you're not protect. Like just in this world, you also have to think about those things that especially I would say more so because now mm -hmm. you have those layers. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. Absolutely. The, the phishing, I would say is it is a true issue. So I do retract that. Thank you for, for saying that because clicking on a link and if you're clicking on a link in a web browser that your wallet is linked to yes. and it's a threat actor, that could give that threat actor access to your wallet and they could then drain your wallet. So or it's Dow's like giving wallet. yes, right, or a Dow's wallet. Treasury. So instead of like, oh, there's a virus on your laptop and you may lose everything on your laptop and that really is not great. You know what? A lot of our stuff is saved on the cloud and blah, blah, blah. They're not getting a direct line into your checking account or your savings account, but that's what's potentially happening in these Web3 blockchain wallet driven type of engagements. That's, that's what's at stake in those situations. And I know whenever I got on Twitter and talked about what was formerly known as Twitter uh, and talked about like NFT. I think the first time I ever posted about an NFT, it immediately opened the floodgates of people starting to tag me about like, yeah. oh, I just picked you to win this very blue chip token and project. And I, I immediately knew it was a scam because I have very few followers on Twitter. No one's tagging me on Twitter. So if anyone's tagging me, they're a total scammer, but I am so paranoid. I'm not clicking on anything in Discord. I, I don't like to accept any request to be a friend or anything because Discord is so chaotic. It is ripe for, for hackers. That's absolutely sure. Yeah. What do you see? What do you see happening with DAOs as they get more mature? Like, do you see DAOs as kind of not something that's going to run for a long time. Maybe they're better for short-term engagements or they're better for certain types of projects. Or do you see some growth happening as that structure matures over time and maybe learn some lessons? Well, I see now, particularly with the markets and the environment, a lot of Web3 is kind of pulling back and in that building phase. So I don't see as much activity in certain DAOs that I used to see prior, just because of kind of the shape of the environment. However, I think that you made a great point. It depends on the DAO. So some DAOs are set up for a particular purpose. They have a project, an NFT project, or a specific mission. And once they achieve that mission, they may stay or they may dissolve. Other DAOs, for instance, like a Bankless DAO or um, a DAO that has kind of multi-pronged purposes may have more longevity and more teeth, which allows them to stay around longer. What I would say, and again, this is my personal opinion, is that more DAOs are going to become more sophisticated in their governance because I believe that governance really is a big pillar 
of um, the DAO kind of ecosystem. And the stronger you are in governance and creating a governance structure within the DAO, I truly believe the more um, strength it reverberates throughout your shared common goals or vision. So that's really the biggest part. And then as more regulation comes down and more options, whether it's the DAO wrapper or how people interface with DAOs um, outside of the DAO changes, then I think that the DAO will evolve and shift. One of the things I love about this space is the ability for it to shift and change and evolve, even as it's being built. So versus a lot of larger structures that take, you know, well, the shareholders have to do this and then the board has to do this and then we have to do this. DAOs can become a lot more nimble, which allows them to persist through change. Mm -hmm. Do you see some DAOs maybe saying, you know what, this DAO structure doesn't work. We're all going to vote and just be an LLC or a corporation or a nonprofit. Have you seen any examples of that? Or are they pretty much like, "We're, we're DAO all the way, baby? I haven't personally seen that, but what I have seen is a lot of DAOs looking at creating a legal wrapper, so adding more protection around that current DAO structure. I want to touch on something that you mentioned early on when you introed and you talked about you have a strong advocacy towards addressing mental health issues and awareness, and I think it's worth touching on here at the end of this episode because I think learning new technology is exciting, but it can also be very stressful at the same time and a little bit overwhelming. I feel like I can pick up on tech pretty quickly, but some of these things I I really struggled with. And and I feel like every day I would wake up and I still do like, wow, I'm really dumb. I don't understand any of those words in that article. (laughs) But do you see that as a a normal cycle people are going through as they're learning about these technologies um, in your experience? So I would say yes, but it's split into two prongs and I'm drawing a triangle. So I remember to hit both. So the first one is what you touched on, which is those who are entering the space who don't come from a tech background. I was one of those people. So unlike a developer who may be a developer in the Web2 space or someone who's used to dealing with those colders or developers within another sphere, those that are coming in that are from other professions, always encourage professionals to come in the sphere. But one of the biggest challenges, as you said, is coming in when you have all this jargon and the tech and how to do that. So I think when it comes to the learning process, it can take a toll on your mental health and well-being, and that can come from stress and anxiety, but also that feeling of worthiness and feeling of competency, really. Do you feel competent enough to be in this space? And that can often create a heavy weight, which keeps people out of it. And then you have the second prong, which is when you're in the community, how do you keep from burning out? And that is a big challenge for so many of us in the community because you come in, 
and it's like this new world, all the a whole new world. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in everything. And you get in everything and you do everything. And a lot of these communities are 24 hours a day, seven days a week because they're global communities. And you find yourself, oh, wait, I also have to work and I have to take care of this and I have to do this, but oh, I want to do that. And so how do you, how to find that ability, I'm not going to call it balance, but the harmony between coming in the community, giving, learning, growing, but also reminding yourself and remembering that it's not a FOMO. You don't have to have this fear of missing out in order to really grow. I think the FOMO thing is a great point to make. FOMO is so intricately entwined with all of this and you really it you got to back away from it and I think some of it's setting boundaries right I'm only going to be able to spend a few hours a week on it or a few hours a day I've enjoyed engaging in some nft projects that are very community-based some of which do have DAOs, and so many of those things are driven by you got to sign up here to get on the wait list you have to do this to do that and just emotionally detaching yourself from it like realizing you're a busy person you can't do all of it just learn from it what you can but i think if anyone's out there and they're trying to learn about it and you feel overwhelmed we have all been there and hopefully as this world matures We'll back off some of the jargon and it'll just, because I do think that is a barrier that is a, it does turn people off. My husband has said that, like, why are you saying all this stuff that I don't even understand? So my family refers to it as my chain gang, the blockchain gang. The, oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> but, but I think that's something. And also, again, setting boundaries, because I think you do get involved and you want to get involved in everything and you just can't do it all. Let's just be honest. So focus on the things you're most interested in, prioritize that, and then go from there. So, and, and I would say that I always encourage people at the beginning, like 10 toes in, like get in there, do what you have to do. Because oftentimes when you're going in the community, at least for me, I'll say from my personal standpoint, I was good at these things. I didn't know what else I was good at. And so this community, this world gives you an opportunity to explore things that you would have never thought would be your strengths and superpowers. So I wouldn't restrain yourself from that. But once you get in and you're starting to move around and see what you like and what you don't like, then you can start setting boundaries and simple things from setting up how you set up your notifications in your Discord and other types, yes. whether it's Telegram or Discord, how do you do that in a way that's healthy for you, that serves you? How do you, from a financial and economic standpoint, because like I said, voting, you buy votes and you can buy in a community, things cost money. So from a financial standpoint, what are your goal financial goals? Is it do you want to come into the community to make money, to give back, to whatever, and set budgets that are realistic for you? Because oftentimes people get so excited and passionate that that becomes one of the biggest challenges. And then I would say the third thing is as you start learning, start gaining awareness of things or possibilities or what ifs that you've never thought of before, but also give yourself an opportunity to focus in on things for a season and then move maybe to other communities. So not everything is a stick and stay. 
You don't need 50 communities because oftentimes you're not going to be beneficial to eat any of them. No. Yeah, I think that's great. The the managing your notifications on Discord is absolutely key. I, I was just completely getting overwhelmed by all the alerts. And I think prioritizing the ones you really want to engage with and doing that, I think it, it really is huge to not just getting, you're just, there's too much, too many things. It's, it's like hyper awareness, hyper fatigue, all of that. So wonderful, wonderful advice. Do you have any closing pieces of guidance or recommendations to anyone interested in learning more about DAOs? So I would say the biggest thing is to, number one, find out your why. And so when you enter the space that you don't kind of get all consumed, but also be open and be flexible. If you want to learn, there's so many tools and opportunities and places that you could do it. I would encourage you just to get started, even if it's watching a YouTube video from some credible, you know, source, but watching a YouTube video or finding a nonprofit that does educational resources and just starting. And if you're already in the space, and especially those when I talk a lot about mental health, is find a path that works for you. This space is evolving and growing and you are evolving and growing. And so don't forget that as you are in the space, remember that your health matters and how you show up matters. So kind of put your, what is it? Put your mask on first so that you can provide value to everyone else in the community. Well, I think that is wonderful advice. Mariette, thank you so much for joining this episode of Cassie And. I know I've learned a thing or two, and I know my audience has. And to my audience, thank you so much for joining. And we hope you stick around for the next episode of Cassie And.